So if you've got a Bible there, I've got a church Bible in front of you, I'd ask you, invite you to turn back to James chapter 1. And I will read three verses again. So that's James 1, 19. So if you have an eye on that. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So, we had a break from James last week, didn't we? Hugo came to preach. But tonight we return to the letter. And what is it? It's a letter written by James, the half-brother of the Lord. It's a letter written to a group of believers that are scattered over an incredibly wide area. We saw that, didn't we? And it's a letter written to believers who are facing hardship, who are facing opposition and persecution. Now, if you cast your minds back to the last time they were in James, so two weeks ago, you recall where we left the letter, I'm sure. We looked at trials, didn't we? Looked at testing, looked at temptation. But the last thing we saw was the salvation of God, wasn't it? We saw the amazing grace of God. The last verse we looked at was verse 18. And it said this, it said, God chose to give us birth. God chose to give us birth. He chose to give us new birth. How did that come about? Through the word of truth. So that's what we looked at last time. But in this section, in the section that we're going to look at tonight, James's thought moves on a wee bit. And his thought kind of advances. And what we're considering this evening is how that new birth that he talks about in verse 18, how that should affect the way that we live. You know, James has affirmed that we're saved in Jesus Christ, that we've got this new birth. He's affirmed that. Now he's saying, see that new birth. That has to affect the way that you speak and the way that you think and the way that you act and the way that you relate to people. So I'm sure you'd agree, folks, that even on just a cursory reading of those verses, that we see that this is really practical stuff, isn't it? I mean, this is really practical. This is practical Christian teaching that James gives here. So let's examine it. Let's have a look at it. And let's consider what God has to say to us tonight in his word. Let's look at three headings. Okay, three headings. The first one is this. The first one, heading number one, point number one, some instructions to heed. Okay, so first point. Some instructions 
to heed, pay attention to. I was reading this week about a a team of ministers in South Africa in the 1980s, I think it was. Yeah, 1980s. And they had this sort of evangelistic endeavor where they opened up the church and invited lots and lots and lots of people into the church. And they wanted all these people, when they came in, to hear the gospel preached. So what they did was this team of ministers, really it was kind of like tag team preaching. One guy would start the sermon and when he got tired, the next one would come in and then the next one and then the next one. And this team of ministers ended up preaching for 144 hours between them. So that's kind of a long sermon. And uh, when I looked at my notes earlier on in the week for the first point tonight, I kind of thought, oh no, this is where we're going to go because there's a lot in what James says here. But don't panic, okay? Don't panic. Um, the intention tonight is to kind of camp out in the first point for most of the time. So don't cry and don't leave if quite a bit into the sermon we're still on our first point. I promise the other points are shorter. So enough of that. Let's get to the text. So James gives us here three short, sharp instructions. Three short, sharp instructions. And the first one is this command in verse 19. Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Now, obviously, that works on a few different levels, doesn't it? We can understand that that, that instruction in a number of different ways. Be quick to listen. Because in a surface reading of that, we could see that Christians have to be good listeners. And that's justified, even that surface reading. We have to be compassionate people. We've got to be people who are willing to make time for others, willing to be attentive to their needs, to be quick to listen to what other people have to say. But that really is only part of this exhortation. Because if we're going to understand what James is saying here, we've got to see it in its context, don't we? So what's its context? Well, we've just seen that in verse 18 he talks about the word of God, doesn't he? And then where does he go after this? Verse 22, he's talking about the word of God again. So we've got to understand this instruction, be quick to listen, as a a kind of exhortation for the people of God to listen attentively to the word of God. We've got to be quick to listen to what God says to us in Scripture. Now, do you think that's something that we are good at as the people of God? Do we listen attentively to what God says to us in Scripture? You see, I think not. You know, I think that Sometimes we have so much in our day. We've got so much going on. We are so busy that if we read our Bibles in the morning, then it's only to quickly flick through it and skim through it just so that we can get on with with the important stuff 
that happens later on in the day. Now here James says it, it, it can't be like that. James says it mustn't be like that. In verse 18, we are born anew. We are given new birth and it comes by the word of truth. So we've got to read scripture. We've got to study it. We've got to think and we've got to listen to what God has to say from that same word. So we've got to be quick to listen. Okay, what's the second instruction? We've had quick to listen. What's the second one? It's kind of closely related to the first one. Do you see it? We told be quick to listen and then slow to speak. Slow to speak. What does that mean? Well, James is obviously not telling us as Christians to be silent. This is not about refraining from, from talking. It's not about being seen and not heard. No, he's saying that because we've been born again and because we are saved, we have to be very deliberate in what we say. We've got to be very thoughtful and very careful about the words we use. We have to be slow to speak. And that is a clear biblical emphasis. That's a theme that we'll find time and time again in Scripture. This idea of being careful with our words. I'll give you a verse here. Ready for it? Great verse. Proverbs 10, 19. Ready for it? When words are many, sin is not absent. He who holds his tongue is wise. A great verse. But what about this verse? What about this warning from Jesus in Matthew's gospel? Ready for this? He says that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every case word they've spoken. What a thought that is. We will have to, we will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word we've spoken. Now, we could talk, I'm sure, for hours about that, couldn't we? Do you not think that we could think about how that, oh, how that, that idea of speech and careful speech, how, what it looks like and you know, what it means for our lives? We could talk for ages about it, but we're not going to. And I'll tell you why. You see, speech, Christian speech, is such an important theme that James devotes much of the rest of his letter to it. So we will come back to this. We will be talking about this again. But let me say one thing. What happens on the 16th of June? 16th of June. We launch our mentoring scheme. Many of us, I hope, will be involved in one-to-one discipleship. Now, I would urge you, if you're going to be involved in mentoring, take this. Take James and implant it into your mentoring relationships. Now, be honest when you're meeting up with fellow Christians. Please be honest. Please open up and, and speak. But watch it. 
Don't turn mentoring into a, a, a congregational gossip shop. Don't be speaking ill of fellow believers. In mentoring, just in the rest of our lives, be quick to listen and be slow to speak. Okay, the last instruction to heed is also in verse 19. Be slow to become angry. Be slow to become angry. Now, I am sure that you would agree that this is not an easy one. This is not an easy one to adhere to. Be slow to become angry. You see, very often, we can try to justify our anger, can't we? You know, we can say, well, okay, I got angry, but the, the guy, the person, he deserved it. Okay, I got angry, but that person deserved my wrath. But I think if we're honest, very rarely could our anger be classed as um, righteous indignation, could it? You know, when we're angry, it's because of self-importance. You know, if we're angry, it's because we're, we're stubborn. If we're angry, it's because we are intolerant. And what does James say? James makes it clear that that is not a trait that is acceptable for people who have been saved by a gracious and compassionate and merciful God. And did you notice as well that this, this instruction about anger is different from the other two, isn't it? Because he doesn't just give us an instruction. Anger is such an important thing here that he elaborates and he tells us the reason why anger is such a terrible thing for Christians. What does he say? He says in verse 20, anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Anger doesn't bring about the life that God desires. He's saying simply, if we're angry, we're living in a way that that displeases our God. And the NIV doesn't really bring it out. It can't bring it out. But James is so clever in how the sentence is constructed. Because really there's just four words in it. And he contrasts the first two, man's anger, with the righteousness that God desires. They're set side by side. He says these things are absolutely contradicted. So the question is pretty obvious, isn't it? Are we, are we angry people? Are you an, an angry person? Are you a person who, who, who thrives in confrontation, a person who's volatile, a person who's combustible. Well, if so, if so, friends, see that this is not a good thing. Anger is not something to cherish. It is something to fight against. It's something to pray about. So we've got to be quick to listen. We've got to be slow to speak and slow to become angry, the instructions to heed. Okay. When you're at the Free Church College, 
or you're a free church minister and you go out and you preach, and you go about the, the country, then very often when you're preaching, you go into church, you are faced with congregations that are kind of all in the same boat or the same situation. So you'll go to a lot of places and the congregation will largely be made up of folk who are retired. Or you'll go to a place and most people work in the same industry. Let's say it's agriculture or something like that. Well, that is definitely not the case for our congregation because we are all over the place, aren't we? You know, there are teachers or, or nurses or uh, students or, or unemployed and there are also one or two sort of budding fashion experts, aren't there, amongst our congregation. And I think, I hope, that the second point this evening will kind of particularly appeal to them. Because in some ways, the second point is about clothing. So what do I mean? Well, it will be clear in a moment. The second point is the impurity to discard. We've seen some instructions to heed. Now, the impurity, impurity to discard. So what are we talking about here? Well, it's this command. It's more than an instruction. It's a command in verse 20. A command to get rid of what James calls moral filth and evil. Moral filth and evil. So what's that? What's moral filth? Well, to be honest, it's a very, very broad term. This is a wide, wide term. But James is calling for here an abandonment to stuff like sexual impurity. He is calling for an eradication of sexual sin, of greed, lust, of impurity, of all evil and debauchery. And, and note, it's different from the other instructions, isn't it? It's different. When he's saying, you know, be quick to listen, slow to speak, he's saying refrain, you know? Refrain, step back from these things. He's not saying that here. He's saying get rid of it. Get it completely and utterly out of your life. It's something that's got to be completely moral filth, completely eradicated and this is where the clothing comes into it you see ask yourself does this idea of casting off moral filth does it ring any bells have you heard it before elsewhere in scripture well sure you have think about first peter He says something there. He says, rid yourselves, cast off, rid yourselves of malice, deceit, slander of every kind. Rid yourselves of it. Paul says the same thing. Ephesians 4.22, get rid off, cast off, put off your old self. And it's the same, this is crucial, it's the same in Zechariah chapter 3. There, Zechariah chapter 3, Joshua, the high priest, He takes off, he strips off his dirty clothes and he casts them aside. And friends, that's the same language. 
It's exactly the same language. It's the same metaphor that James uses here. James here, when he's talking about moral filth, he's talking about a poor man's clothes. That's the language that he uses. He says, see this moral filth? It's disgusting. It is cheap and nasty and horrible clothing. And he says, strip it off. Get rid of it. And cast it to the side. So friends, with that, permit me to ask you two questions. Okay, two questions by way of application. One, do you think of sexual sin and moral filth as something that is serious? Do you? In your own life, are you taking sin seriously because you see what james does here he contrasts moral filth at the beginning of the verse he contrasts it with that which leads to salvation at the end of the verse you see essentially he's saying see the sordidness in your life see that moral filth it is leading to your condemnation it is corrupting you It is hindering your spiritual walk. It is repressing your sanctification. So do you take your sin seriously? And then the second question, if you do take your sin seriously, are you actively fighting against it? Are you? Are you fighting the the moral filth that's in your life? Are you... Are you thinking about your life and identifying the problems? And are you taking steps to eradicate that sin? Are you doing that? Are you really doing it? Are you being careful about, I don't know, what you watch? Are you careful about how you act? Are you careful even to what you listen to? You see, the bottom line with all of this is that God or the father of heavenly lights as James calls him here God has provided salvation for us so surely we should repent of these sins and we should fight against them in the power of the Holy Spirit and friends we should strip off and cast off these cheap rags and leave them behind forever. Okay. I was um, once on holiday with a group of friends and we got lost. We got lost in somewhere in the north of England. We were trying to find a place just outside Newcastle and we got completely, I don't know how we got lost, but we did. So what we did was we pulled over and I looked like a sort of friendly local. So we thought we'd ask him for directions. This was in the days before Satna. And we spoke to him. And this guy was useless. This guy was absolutely hopeless. He just didn't help us at all. And we, we told him our predicament, the fact we were lost. And he just said, oh, okay, you're lost, are you? Yeah. And you're trying to get just outside Newcastle. Okay, that's fine. And that was it. He just carried on his way he was no help at all he gave us no directions whatsoever 
But thankfully, that's not what James does in these short verses. He doesn't just point out our problem, the moral filth. He doesn't just tell us where we want to go to, cast off your moral filth. He gives us directions. He tells us what to do. He spells it out. He says how exactly we can cast off the moral filth. So just as we close, in just a couple of words, we'll call it our third point. Let's consider the instrument of change. The instrument of change. So, do you want to live for Jesus Christ? Do you want to live for him, but are wondering where we get the power to change? Live so. Have a look at the words of verse 21. It says there, if we want to eradicate moral, moral filth, humbly accept the word that is planted in you. That is the key to it all. Humbly accept the word that is planted in you. So friends, if we, if we want to change, and if we really want change, in our Christian experience. That is the key to it all. You see, we have been born by that word of truth. It has been planted in us. So now when we come to Scripture, when we come to the Bible, there is a reaction. The word has been planted in us. When we read Scripture there is a reaction. What happens is that we are given by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given the power to change. We are given the power by God in Scripture, through Scripture, the power to strip off those rags and to cast them away. (laughs) The miracle is we're given the power to dress differently. The power to dress in the glorious garments of Christ-likeness. Now, do you want that? Do you want to rid yourself of sexual sin, of greed, of moral decay, of evil? Well, I would say to you, this week, read your Bible. I would say, study your Bible. If you're battling sin, read it, but more than that, receive it. Humbly accept what God says there. Let the Bible, when you read it, let it shape your life. Let it change you. Pray when you read it. Let it alter how you think and how you act. And do that this week. You see, friends, this isn't, you know, this isn't sort of new age thinking that James has given us here, is it? You know, this isn't just moralistic instruction for how to live a better life. This is about living for Jesus. Living for Jesus in a sinful world. So are you one of his? Are you one of God's children? Well, if so, hear this battle cry. Let's 
fight our sin. Let's fight our sin. And let's do so armed with our greatest weapon. Let's do so armed with the word of God. My friend, did you come here tonight interested in Christianity, but not quite sure where you stand with all of this stuff? You know, it sounds interesting, this talk of Jesus, it sounds interesting, but you're not quite sure about it. Well, if you did, and that's you tonight, then know that this word, this word can provide you with new birth. And no matter what you've been through in your life, no matter what you've done, know that you must, regardless of your circumstances, you must be born again. Let's pray.